morning, friends. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, I mentioned you guys a few weeks ago that we're going to start a series in the book of Proverbs, which we're doing right now. Okay, and it's going to be a little bit weird because Proverbs is a strange book. It does it's not organized the way any normal book is. It's kind of a flow of things. Um, so today, what we're going to do is just an overview of Proverbs, kind of get your kind of get your head around how this thing is structured, and then we will uh, continue over the next six, seven weeks, something like that. But I think it's going to be fun. There's a lot of stuff in here. So, first of all, what is a proverb, you guys? What's a proverb? That's a real question. A saying of wisdom. That's not a bad, quick definition. So, 50 little short, um, you know, uh, truism, aphorism, something that is what it is, just an accurate observation about the world or about us, okay? And if that's true, then the book of Proverbs is basically just this big bucket of these little sayings. Um, most of them are very short and self-standing. There's not a developed argument. There's not like they don't they don't move together in a in a dependent development. There's no narrative plot. Um, they rarely have any context before or after. They just are. They exist in their own right. And taken together, there are, there are a set of observations about essentially human nature and the world. This is the way we are, this is the way the world functions. And they will explain to you predictable cause and effect change. Hey, if you do this, this is probably going to happen. Sometimes they'll set up kind of like this kind of a, a decision fork, like make a comparison and a contrast between two different choices that you might make. And the promise of the proverb, you guys, is that if we understand and consider them, when we are making decisions, they will protect us. They'll make us wise. They'll, they'll bring benefit, and not just to us, but to the people around us, um, to other people. Um, and the, this as a motive is very, very clear. The first mm, eight or nine, ten, chapter nine chapters of the Proverbs um, is full of very explicit motive language. Gonna, we're going to flip through a whole bunch of these because um, I want you to capture this is not some outline thought. This is how they all begin. So go to, go to Proverbs 1. If you've got a book, we're just going to keep turning the pages. You're gonna click through. We've got a phone. Scroll a little bit. But Proverbs 1.1. Here's how it starts. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb of the same words of the wise and the rules. The words of the wise and the rules. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despite, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then check out verse 8. This is what I want you to catch this. Verse 8, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. This idea that there's a father <laughs> speaking to his kid, there's a mom talking to their kid, this is going to pervade the book, right? This whole thing is, is basically a bunch of things that a parent passing on to their kid because they love them. And there's some good thing, like, oh, I just, just, you just listen to me. I want you to hear it. It's going to occur over and over and over again. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord by knowledge. You hear how he's saying, like, just do it. In verse 8, he's going to say, it's going to guard your paths, it's going to watch over your way. In chapter 3, same thing. My son, do not forget my teaching. 
but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days, that's the, that's the goal here, and years of life and peace they will add to you. Chapter 4, same thing. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son of my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Give wisdom, give insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mother. Okay, so you hear this, there's a sense of this father and he's speaking to his kids, mother talking to their child and saying like, just trust me. Just listen, okay? This impulse is alive right now in my house. Uh, you guys might know we have four kids. Our third son, Max, um, is, uh, how do you describe Max? Max is a wild man. Max just got a motorcycle. Just yesterday, he picked up a ninja, and it is, you guys, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's so cool, and I love it. But you know what else it is? It is dangerous, right? Um, and so we are speaking to Max about we want, we, he wanted to get a motorcycle, we're letting him get a motorcycle, partly because we just know our son, right? This is a kid that just needs some room to Right? He is a, he's a wild man. He loves doing courageous, frightening, terrifying things. And so the latest on the list, and it's a long, long list, is a motorcycle. And so yes, you can have a motorcycle, but I'm telling you, I'm going to spend as much money as I need to spend on protective jackets and boots and gloves and helmets and whatever else we do. And he's got to take the safety class. And we're gonna, because we're, it's proper. But my son, just listen to me. Okay, listen to me. This is going to literally add years to your life. Right? And this stuff matters. That's the, that's the vibe of the proverb. It's a father who loves his kid, and he's saying, oh, this could go really badly for you, so here's what I need you to do. Don't burden me on this. Listen, do it. Okay? Over and over again. Chapter 5 is the same thing. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and that your lips may guard knowledge. Right? So there's this sense about the whole book of like, this is for your good, and I love you, and I want good things for you, so just watch the way the world functions, all right? Now, also there are problems, but especially in the beginning, there's two women. One woman personifies foolishness, and one woman personifies wisdom. And wisdom and folly are going to be like, you know, arch nemesis during the rest of this book. I'm not going to unpack that because Quig is going to handle the women next week. We're going to watch this wisdom and folly and how this plays out. I want to steal this thunder. Um, but they are pitted against each other. As you read through it, watch the characters, essentially, of wisdom and folly. Speaking of which, I do hope that you'll read it. If you're not already in the habit of reading the Proverbs, uh, a common practice that folks will do is that um, there's 31 chapters to Proverbs. There's 31 days in a month, some months. And so on this, what's today, the 16th? On the 16th, you can read Proverbs 16, and then tomorrow read Proverbs 17, and the next day read Proverbs 18. Um, it doesn't, and you can start with chapter 16, no problem, because there's no flow, there's no argument. And they're all just kind of jumped in. There's no storyline. Um, it's like a big bowl of fortune cookie length <laughs> truisms that you should grab, right? And as you do it, if you're reading chapter 16, what, you, what you'll find is, I don't know, I didn't count them, 30 Proverbs maybe in a chapter. Um, and it, a bunch of them are going to pass through your mind like water through a pipe. That's fine. Don't worry about it. But one or two might stick. One or two this time around might be like, oh, that reminds me. I wish I read this yesterday. Right? But the next time, maybe a different one's going to stick. And different things and different seasons and days in our lives are going to capture us. And the wisdom that you can accumulate through just a steady, re repeated exposure could be really significant and make, make a difference in your life. Okay? Now, if you 
do that, and you start reading chapter 16, you're going to find just what I said. But by the time you get down to chapter 1, the first eight or nine chapters, they are different. Um, the first quarter to a third of the book actually does have longer arguments. There's topics that are kind of arranged in those chapters before it kind of turns into these little short staccato things. Uh, chapter 5, if you read Proverbs 5, it's all about sexual sin. It's very vivid, it's very picturesque, it is um, very sympathetic. It kind of grapples with the reality of sexual temptation, but it also um, points out the really negative downstream effects. Chapter 6 is mostly about the ways that you can bring yourself to financial ruin. So if that's what you're into, you can um, read Chapter 6 and learn all about wrecking your life. Um, chapter 8 is going to be primarily the personification of wisdom. It's one of these things I think Quinn might look at next week. Um, but it describes wisdom as this living, breathing person who's calling out and inviting you to heed her counsel. And then it's really by the time you get to chapter 10 that it's going to break down into these very staccato, short, pithy assertions that have no context, no development, just these truisms. And if you have ADD, this is your book, all right? Because you only have to pay attention like a verse at a time. If your mind wanders, it's going to drop right back in, all right? Here are some of my favorite problems. There's a lot, so I'll, I'll give you a chance to start thinking because I want you to shout out if there's any favorites of yours. Uh, Proverbs 13, 12. I wonder if you know this one. It says that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You know it? But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Uh, this was, for me, this was like my engagement song, our engagement proverb. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You guys have ever seen when Harry met Sally, you got this great line. When you meet the person with whom you want to spend the rest of your life, you want the rest of your life to start right away. I hated being engaged. I didn't want to be engaged. I wanted to be married, right? When our son Benjamin was coming, he was two weeks late. Like two weeks, our first son, that was forever, right? And hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. We wanted to be two weeks early. And so like every day it's like, where is he, where is he? And then he's finally born. And a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And that's just true. It's hard to wait. Or how about this? Proverbs 13, 20. I can hear my wife saying this to our children over and over again. He who walks with the wise grows wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise grows wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. That verse, maybe as much as any, is why I came on staff and came to Save Christ. When I was a student at JMU, I was a the crew. And my, our staff team was amazing. Wonderful, godly, talented people. They had such a massive impact on my life, and I loved them. And I admired them. And then I went on this international mission trip with the crew to the Soviet Union when there was a Soviet Union. And that staff, they were amazing too, a completely different cast of characters. But I just admired them so much. This guy, Phil Thompson, was amazing. This woman, Susie, I just really enjoyed her so much. And I just kind of did the math. I'm like, everywhere I go in this organization, these are like non, not a representative sample population. These are wiser, they are kinder, they are more godly, they are like, I love these people. And I just thought, I want to be like them. And perhaps one way that I might grow to become like them is to spend time with them. And so I raised my support and came on staff because he who walks with the wise grows wise. And I wanted to be among that population, right? Here's another one. Proverbs 27 and 7. And this has explained so many situations Listen to this. Proverbs 27 7 says, He who is full loathes money, but to the hungry 
even what is bitter tastes sweet. Okay, that's a world in itself right there. To the hungry, even the bitter tastes sweet. Have you ever watched people make destructive choices? And you think, what on earth are you doing? To the hungry, even the bitter tastes sweet. I've watched people, and I often think of this in terms of relationships, right? You see people enter into a relationship from which no good will come. This is bitter. But they're hungry. And to the hungry, even the bitter tastes sweet. You may have seen this in your own life. Where you're like, I don't know why I made that decision, or I did that thing, or I pursued that thing, and great harm came from it, and it was foreseeable. What do you want from me? I was hungry. And I did this thing that led to a bitter. To the hungry, even the bitter tastes sweet. How about you guys? Are there any favorite Proverbs that you have memorized, recited, that you Proven true in your life, you observe others. What is it? Where are we going at? Yeah, go real loud. Yes, go right ahead. Okay, the fear of the Lord is beginning. That actually shows up multiple times. And sometimes it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and sometimes it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Both of these things. And this, this shows up all the time, and it's a little bit puzzling sometimes. Like, what does it mean to fear God? Does it mean I'm afraid of him like I'm afraid of like snakes. Like how do I how am I to make sense of that? But and we won't unpack that fully today, but that's a great, great in walking through this thing about wisdom. Something begins with some sense of reverence, right? And I'll give you a real quick, quick clue to that. We fear snakes because they're bad, right? But we fear God because he's good and we're bad, right? It's our badness before his holiness that is gonna like should cause us to have a sense of reverence before him. So that's a that's a great problem. Okay, just one more. Anybody else got a favorite proverb? You don't have to, but you could. Favorite proverb. Yeah, go ahead. Ryan. 15-1. So what's, oh yes, okay, and I'm going to talk about that one. That that a, a gentle word, so there's, there's kind of, there's two halves to it, right? It says that a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up. Right? That, I, I cannot tell you how many times that has been uh, pertinent and relevant in my life, for sure. I'm getting texts now from Proverbs, which I can't read, so thank you for that. We're going to do that right now. Um, they are, it's, it's a, it's a, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll pack that one in another minute, too, because that's had a big, big impact on my life in lots of ways, including just even this last week. So how about this one? This one's tricky, you guys. Proverbs are, sometimes they're very straightforward, and sometimes they really cause us to cock our head. Here's 18.8. Uh, it says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Isn't that strange? Doesn't that sound almost like it's suggesting you want to be happy? You should, go, you should try gossip because it works with this amazing, right? And it's not it's not advocating or recommending that. It's just making the observation. This is true. The gossip is delicious. Have you noticed this? Have you ever been around somebody and they start talking about somebody that you just don't like? And they're just running it down real good. Isn't that just incredibly satisfying? Okay, that's what it's saying. Now it's not advocating for it; it's just acknowledging. Hey, this is tempting. This is going to be difficult. But if you're, the Bible makes very clear prohibitions on gossip, and we need to take that seriously because it's so easy, it's so desirable, it's so luckless, deeply satisfying. 
When the prophet says that something makes you happy, it's not not necessarily advocating for it. It's going to do the same thing with sexual sin. It's going to say the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. That means she is highly desirable. Right? So this girl is beautiful. This is amazing. This is going to fill your heart with happiness. But you've got to read the next verse because it says the end, she's as bitter as gall, right? sharp as a two-edged sword, beat led straight to death. So the fact that that one part might say it's good doesn't mean that the outcome will be good. It's just telling us the way things are, not the way they ought to be, right? So sometimes they're also confusing, all right? Check this one. In fact, turn to this one. I want you to see this. Proverbs 26.4. It says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. All right? So do not answer a fool this is why you don't debate people on Facebook. Just don't. Just don't take the bait. It's not going anywhere. More often than not, you're going to get dragged down to their level. This aggravated back and forth that accomplishes nothing. Right? You're having a debate with somebody who doesn't want to. may not even be capable of listening. And so just don't do it. Problems is wise. Don't answer fool according to his fault. However, does anybody know what the next verse is? Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. All right, thank you. So what do you do with that? Do you answer a fool according to his folly, or do you not answer a fool according to his folly? What on earth are you saying here? Okay, I'll tell you, this is not a mistake. This is not proof that your you know, college professor can use to demonstrate that the Bible is hopelessly contradictory. These are literally right next to each other. And the author knows that he's saying both. He's saying both on purpose, juxtaposed as they are for a purpose. Why? Why does he give you two irreconcilable pieces of advice right next to each other? It's because sometimes we do. And sometimes we don't. But either path that you choose is probably going to go poorly. Alright? And this is, have you ever noticed this in life? Sometimes maybe the left fork is going to end badly and the right fork is going to end badly. But at least you get to choose which bad outcome you're going to deal with, right? And wisdom comes from knowing there's a lot of life that is ambiguous. Very, very often it's not like, let me look up to see what I'm supposed to do. You're going to have to use a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, a lot of, you know, earned experience to say, in this particular situation, do I answer him as a his folly or do I not? Life is difficult. The wisdom comes from the ability to make choices. And in fact, Choosing is very, very often what the Proverbs are about. You stand at a fork in the road. Do I go this way? Do I go this way? Well, you might want to know, here's the likely outcome if you go left. Here's the likely outcome if you go right. Which outcome is more desirable? There are probably going to be costs to both. But wisdom comes as we read these Proverbs, as we live them out, and practice them, and learn to say, you know, it's actually true. That's how this works. And as you do that, as you're like, if you're, if you're getting this knowledge that this is the way the world functions, one of the things that you'll probably learn is that it's not just out there, but there's all kinds of forces going on inside you as well. The Proverbs just aren't just about other people, but they're also about what's happening in us. I'll give you an example of that. Um, 15.1 to Ryan, this is exactly what you quoted, uh, is this proverb. That, here it is again. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up harsh word stirs up anger. That is so absolutely true. Have you noticed this one? 
I, there have been times in my life that I have heeded that to my advantage. And there have been times that I've disregarded it and been burned by it. Gentle answer turns away wrath. And sometimes I've chosen the gentle answer. Sometimes I have not. I, I recently had a phone call uh, with a company whose customer service, I've been working with this company for decades, and they had the best customer service in any industry that I've ever dealt with, ever. I love them. You call them, they answer the phone. If they transfer you, they stay with you during the transfer, and they just do supremely good work, or at least they used to. This has not been true for like about a year, right? Call volume is unusually high every single day, and it completely drives me insane. And recently I had to talk to one of these guys about a big complex problem that we're trying to solve, and he basically said, you know, we don't, we're not able to resolve it, no problem, you can just call back tomorrow and get another rep. And I just thought, fat chance, because it took me 45 minutes to get through to you, right? And I need to get this result today. And so, though I know that a gentle word, a gentle answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger, and though I wasn't technically harsh, I was candid. And I let him know, you know, that used to be true. But it hasn't been true for some time. And you've gone from being my favorite company to deal with to one of my least favorite companies to deal with because you guys just never answer the phone anymore. At that point, conversation took a decided turn for the worse. He was insulted, and his interest ceased to be. He, he could have said, well, we're going to prove that wrong. We're going to do the best job. We're going to solve this. We're going to make this all great. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, you could tell he was insulted. He was disinterested in helping me. He was eager off the phone, passed me off to somebody, gave me, gave me faulty counsel on what to do, and it has literally cost me 15 hours in the last two weeks on the phone trying to clean up this stupid mess, okay? Now, my point, however, is not, isn't that guy a jerk? The point is, wasn't that foolish? I couldn't bite my tongue, right, and just be like, yeah, you know, thanks, I'd love to see that happen. Instead, I, I offered him a critique that he didn't like, and it, I've been paying for it ever since. Because a harsh word stirs a banger, but a gentle word turns away wrath. And you can, you can like it, or you can not like it. It's just the way things are. If you want to save yourself 15 hours, you might not, uh, you might not test the theory, right? Because the problems are like hard candy. You put them in your mouth and you just kind of roll around for a while. What does this mean? How does this apply in this context? What should I do about this? Roll it around. But in order to do that, you're going to need to load them into your brain. There's not, they're not available to the spirit to use, but they're not like bouncing around in your skull. So, as I said, read a chapter a month. Uh, I mean, a chapter a day throughout the month, rather. So today, read chapter 16, tomorrow read chapter 17. And as you do that, if you do that, which I hope you will, if you come to despair that you are not and cannot be this wise, that you can't even resist critiquing the customer service rep when they richly deserve it, and you know that doing so is going to sabotage your own interests, then consider this. Flip out of the Proverbs and come to the New Testament for just one minute. Go to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 20. I want you to catch this. 20 and following. Paul writes this. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God, made, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was to save those who believe. 
Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This question is, where's the wise man? Who of us can claim to be wise? We are all drawn into patterns of behaving and believing and reacting that don't produce the desired end. And we do this repeatedly. But a man came, and he lived his life so differently. He chose weakness over strength. And he was willing to be thought foolish by a world that was incapable Receiving his wisdom. Jesus took the lowest place for the good of others and thereby was tortured to death. And this looked like absolute idiocy to everyone. But because of this act, he was declared to be wisdom itself. Now, this is paradoxical, it is upside down, it is backward. The foolishness of God is wise for man's wisdom. And when you read the Proverbs and you despair at what you cannot be, rest in the peace that he became all that you need to be but cannot be yourself. He took your sin and he offers you his righteousness. He took your brokenness and he offers you his wholeness. He took your folly and he offers you his wisdom. Wisdom is found in the book. I hope that you might read it there as we talk about it. Lord Jesus, you are the one who is wise, although you baffle us. Lord, the teachers of the law were amazed at your teaching, and yet you did everything differently than our instincts drive us. Would you teach us your secrets? Would you show us the path of wisdom in a place that it contradicts us? Let us pray that by your grace and kindness, we can come to know the one who is wise. For those who walk with the wise, grow wise. Want to walk 